your Navy SEAL self. Have at it, brother. <laughs> oh, man. Man, I felt like I was in camp meeting there for a while. How many of you guys remember the old pack house days? I know I'm dating myself. Anybody remember that? My grandmother and grandfather used to carry me in the pack house and just lay me on that old wood pew and just let me sit there because they would have service all night long. I mean, literally all night long. I go past 12 o'clock. I see y'all checking your watches and everything. Y'all, y'all hit that buffet. But anyway, uh, those were the good days. And so, but you know what? I think that these are just as good. Amen. These are just as good. We can still have that connection with God and just move and flow in the things that God wants us to do. And so we are thankful. We're thankful that we have all different types of talent here in the church. And, uh, and we want to see them use their gifts and their talents, their abilities for the glory of God. And so uh, we thank them for doing that for us today. Uh, how many of you guys have had a great week this week? Let me see your hand. You've had a great week this week. That's awesome. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have been persecuted in the past week? Anybody been persecuted? Put you like on a skewer and on the grill? Anybody been persecuted? Uh, We have been in a sermon series that we're actually wrapping up today entitled, I Am Blessed. And we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes that Jesus preached. And before we kind of get into it today, because we're wrapping it up with the last of the Beatitudes today. But before we do that, I wanted to remind you some things about the Beatitudes. Uh, The Beatitudes are really an introduction to the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself. This was the first sermon that Jesus preached in the New Testament. So I want you to grab hold of that. Not only that, the Beatitudes are a transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. For instance, the last word in the Old Testament is the word cursed. The first word of the first sermon in the first book in the New Testament is the word blessed. And so Jesus is introducing a new covenant and he's saying that the blessed life is the Christian life. Those who live out the Beatitudes. And so not only that, but let me just kind of remind you of one more thing. And that is that the Beatitudes, these are not wishes of Jesus. These are not hopes of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is not wishing the poor in spirit would be blessed. He's not wishing those who mourn and repent over their sin would be blessed. He's not wishing those who are persecuted would be blessed. These are divine pronouncements of truth. And He is saying that if you realize your need for God, if you realize your poverty of spirit, you will be blessed. If you mourn over your sin, repent over your sin, You will be blessed. And so again, these are divine pronouncements of truth. Also, one of the things about being blessed is it's not having everything going your way on the outside. So it doesn't matter if all my circumstances have lined up. It's not about having the right circumstances. It's about having the right spirit. It's about what God is doing in me. And so today we're going to wrap it all up. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, and we're going to look at the last B attitude. And again, next week, we're starting a brand new series, and I have pulled out one of my favorite sermons of all time. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and invite every 
everybody you can to next week because it's going to be that good. Yes, it is. And so you want to come out and be a part of that. Uh, I have something that I'm going to get you guys to do about midway of the service, and so you don't want to miss that. But, uh, but we are starting <clears throat> Excuse me, that sermon series called Faves. And it's basically our favorite sermon over the years that we have preached. And, uh, and I was torn between some, but I think I've narrowed it down. And so we're going to do that next week. So come out and be a part of that. Are you at Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 yet? If you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say wait a minute. All right, let's go. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we thank you again for the amazing opportunity to just come into your house today. And Lord, we're just asking that you would continue to work in our hearts, continue to work in our souls. Help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Blessed are the persecuted. Out of all of the Beatitudes, this is probably one of the most upside down of them all. Uh, This is the one that, that really is the most controversial one. Because Jesus is saying persecuted people are blessed people. If you're persecuted for the gospel's sake... You're blessed. And so, first of all, we have to figure out what is persecution. But before we get to that, you have to understand that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is where he's getting started. But he is already on the radar screen of the legalist. They've already picked up on that he's not following the rules and the regulations and the rituals that they think are important. But the disciples have not picked up on it. And so Jesus is saying to them, guys, here's what's coming. You need to understand. If you live the Beatitudes, you're going to be persecuted. And so he's telling the disciples that, hey, if you're poor in spirit, if you mourn over your sin, if you are a peacemaker, if you are meek, you are going to be persecuted. And he's giving them a warning of what is to come. So with that in mind, what exactly is persecution? In the Greek, there are several definitions of what it means to be persecuted, but they all mean the same thing. And so let's just kind of look at them real quick. What does persecution mean? To make someone run, to put to flight, to drive away, to pursue in a hostile manner, to harass, to mistreat, to be accusative. All of these mean persecution. And so here's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Guys, it's about to get tough. It's about to get tougher than what you've ever experienced before in your life. And I know you don't understand this because this has not happened to you before. But it happened to the prophets who were before you and it's going to happen to me and it's going to happen to you. So here's where I want you to kind of lean in and I want you to hear what I'm about to say because I want to say it as clearly as I know how. If you have committed your life to Jesus Christ and you are following out the purposes of God in your life, it is not a matter of if you will be persecuted. It is a matter of when you will be persecuted. And the more anti-Christian our culture becomes, the more frequent that's going to happen. But none of that should surprise us 
Because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Those who decide to please Christ Jesus by living godly lives will suffer at the hands of those who hate Him. So everyone who lives out the Beatitudes will be persecuted. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you really want to be blessed, then you've got to prepare for persecution so when it comes, it won't rob your joy. It won't cause you to throw in the towel and say, this is not worth it and walk away. Jesus said, hey, it's coming if you want to be blessed. So with that in mind, if I know what persecution is, how do I handle it when it comes? How do I handle persecution? And I've got a few things I want to throw out to you right off the bat. One of the first things that, uh, ways that you handle persecution, number one, is you recognize the source. You recognize the source. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Turn to somebody and say, You're not fighting against you. I'm not fighting against you but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Psalms chapter 143 verse 3 says, The enemy has persecuted my soul. Listen to me carefully today. Persecution does not come from people. It comes through people. Persecution does not come from people, it comes through people. Persecution comes from the devil. There is an enemy of your soul that hates you and is going to do everything he can to try to uproot uh, what God is trying to do in your life. And so we have to understand that persecution, it comes through people, but not from people. How else could Jesus sitting on the cross could have prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And yet these are the same people who had beat him, spit in his face, put the crown of thorns on his head, hung him on the cross, and they're mocking him and they're insulting him. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The reason why he was able to do that is because he knew the persecution was not coming from them. It was only coming through them. And you understand that there are different types of people that the persecution will come through. It'll come through legalistic people. Legalistic people will always persecute believers because they want you to be able to earn your salvation. But how many of you know you can't earn your salvation? On your best day, you're still dirty. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. So salvation is not something you earn. And so here is Jesus, and this is why they were so mad with Jesus, because He didn't say you've got to do this and do that in order to be saved. He just simply says you need to believe in Me. And so they took fault with that because they were legalistic. Galatians chapter 4 says that the son of the free woman is always persecuted by the son of the bondwoman. That scripture is talking about law and grace. For those who believe in grace, they'll always be persecuted by those who believe in the law. So persecution comes through legalistic people because Satan does not want the world to know that all you have to do is just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The other type of people that persecution comes through is lost people. You have to understand that we live in a dark world. We are light in a dark world. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in just a moment. But darkness will always persecute the light. Jesus said the light came into the world and the darkness hated the light. John 15 verse 18. If the world hates you, Jesus said, you know it hated me before it hated you. 
So when it comes to being persecuted, you need to know who your real enemy is. It's not the person mistreating you. It is not your spouse, even though you think it is. It is not your boss. It is the enemy that is attacking you, but he's coming through individuals. So we have to recognize the source. But the second thing we have to do is refuse to retaliate. Once you get it fixed in your mind that the enemy is not a person, but it is actually the devil, it becomes a whole lot easier to endure the attacks that come against your life. Romans chapter 12 verse 17 says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Hear me today. If Satan is the commander-in-chief in a battle, and you pay, repay evil with evil, who just won? He did. He got you to come over to his side. And the reason why he launched an attack to start with was because you were living for God. You were fulfilling the purpose in your life. So if you're under attack today, you ought to look at it and say, Thank God I must be doing something right because I'm walking out the path God's called me to walk out. If not, the devil would just leave you alone. So Jesus understood this and he told us, You need to be prepared for the different attacks that's going to come in your life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. God blesses you when you are mocked, when you're persecuted, when you're lied about, because you are my followers. Have you ever been mocked? Have you ever been insulted before? People find something that you're sensitive about, and, and it's almost like they, they pour salt on the wound. They're just digging it out in you. They call you names. Have you ever heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Turn to somebody and say, that is a lie from the devil. Words do hurt. You know, it's like a preacher one time, he stood up before the congregation, he says, guys, I really want to preach better to you guys, so I'm, I, you know, I want you to criticize me. You know, give me some constructive criticism. Well, there was a guy named Harold, man, he come up to him after the service, and Harold said, well, preacher, I got three things for you. The pastor says, all right, great, give them to me. He said, well, number one, pastor, you read your sermon. He said, all right, I, that's, that's good, I got that, I can work on that. He said, well, well pastor, the second thing is, you read your sermon pretty bad. He said, oh, okay, well, that kind of stings, but I, I, I'll take that, Harold. He said, well, Pastor, actually, the third thing is the sermon you're reading isn't worth reading at all. And so here's the pastor. He's over there kind of wallowing in his sorrow. Here comes one of the elders and said, hey, man, don't worry about what Harold says. He's only hearing what he hears everybody else say. How many of you know that pastor was being persecuted? You ever been insulted? You ever been mocked? You ever been treated unfairly? You ever been passed over for a promotion? Knowing that you were more educated, you had more ability, you had more talent than the other person, but because you were not willing to compromise your values, because you were not willing to compromise the morals that you have and, and, and do something that was unethical, maybe you got passed over. Maybe somebody don't invite you to the party because they don't want you there. You know, they, they don't even say your name. We just don't want you there. That's, that, that's Jesus' person. Suppose you uh, get someone to lie on you, tell false rumors about you. That's kind of the, the most hurtful one, to be honest with you. The world loves to find fault with Christians, and if it can't find anything, how many of you know it'll make something up? 
And so there are some people that will tell a tiny bit of truth, but they'll twist that truth to make themselves look good. Then there's some people the enemy will work through that tells there's no truth at all, but they're making it up to fit their own purposes. But here's what you have to remember. Jesus was attacked too. He was called a party animal. He was called a friend of sinners. He was called a lunatic. But how many of you know he never retaliated? And can I tell you something? We shouldn't either. So when persecution comes, you've got to recognize the source. You've got to refuse to retaliate. Here's the third one. You have to be willing to respond positively. Respond positively. Romans 12, 21. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Say that real loud one time. Overcome evil with? Come on, one more time. Get it in your spirit. Overcome evil with? Yes, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, you don't tell them they're number one. You just wave at them and say they must be in a hurry. They obviously didn't see me. In Jesus' name. Now let me ask you a a tough question. When people uh, lie on you and treat you unfairly and insult you, do you want to treat them good? No. Our natural response is to go on the defensive and then to counterattack that person. But the Bible says we should always respond positively. Matthew 5.44 Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Well, pastor, how do I do that? You can only do that when you realize who you are in Jesus Christ. Your worth is not based on what someone says about you, if someone insults you or someone lies about you. That is not where your worth is based. Your worth is based in Jesus Christ. One of the greatest children books that I've got in my library, I pulled it out last night and we read it to our kids, is a book called You Are Special by Max Licato. Highly recommend that book to every parent in the house. You Are Special by Max Licato. And in this book, it talks about a community called the Wemmicks. They're wooden people. And the way they go about their lives is every single day, they put labels on each other. So if you are a pretty Wemmick and your paint is good and you can run and jump and do all of that, you get a star. If you've got a little chip in your paint, if you don't look like everybody else, you get a dot. And all day, every day, they put labels on one another. Finally, there was one Wemmick who got dots all over him. He didn't look like everybody else. His paint was cracked all up. He was chipped up. And every day, people would put dots all over him. They'd put labels on him. And it got to the point where he didn't even want to go outside anymore. He didn't want to even live anymore. And so finally, he made a Wemmick that didn't have any labels on her at all. There were no stars. There were no dots. And so he goes up to her and says, How is it possible that you don't have any labels on you? She says, well, I go to Eli every day. Who's Eli? He's my maker. And so this Wemmick went on and went to Eli, who was his maker. And Eli told him, why are you worried about what everybody else says about you? Why are you allowing labels to be put on you when the only one that has a right to label you is your maker? I'm your maker, and I'm saying you're good, you're blessed, you're pure, you're holy. And at that moment, all those dots begin to fall off him. Can I tell you something? In this world, you're going to have trouble. 
trouble. In this world, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to say things about you. People are going to lie about you. But don't let what they say put a dot on you. Go to your maker every single day and let God tell you what he thinks about you. And all of the labels will fall off of you. That is the only way you can respond positively is knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. So when the insults come and the unfair treatment comes and people begin to lie on you and they're doing this because of Jesus, you recognize the source. You refuse to retaliate. You respond positively. And here's the next one. You rejoice over it. And you're like, wait a minute. Rejoice over persecution? Now, I'm not saying rejoice over the pain because sometimes it really hurts. But what do you rejoice over? Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the high council rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing? That God had counted them worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. They thought it was wonderful to be put in prison. They thought it was wonderful to be put in in beaten and to be in that position which they could suffer for Jesus Christ. And as a result, they rejoiced. So how can you and I rejoice? Well, we rejoice in three things, kind of an ABC thing. So here it is. The first thing I rejoice in is that God's Spirit can be seen in my life. I rejoice when God's Spirit can be seen in my life. Otherwise, nobody would be bothering you. Have you ever wondered, well, I'm not being persecuted for my faith. Nobody's insulting me. Nobody's mocking me. Everything's kind of going good. Have you ever asked yourself, maybe God's Spirit can't be seen in you? Come on, turn to somebody and say it's tight, but He is right. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 in the message It says, if you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. Count yourself fortunate. It's the Spirit of God and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. And some of you are saying, well, I can see how His Spirit brings me into the notice of others, but why does it bring persecution? Do you understand when you live God's way, you represent two things. You represent light and you represent truth. And so as you as a Christian go out into the world, we represent light. And light is a good thing, right? Okay, let's say it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And you're in bed asleep. And you're snoring and it is just one of those sleeps where it is, I mean, it's just good. You got drool. Come on, how many of you know it's one of those sleeps? All of a sudden, your wife starts flailing in the bed, jumps up and turns every light on in the bedroom in the house, talking about there's a bug crawling on me. The first thing you do is pull the covers over your head and then you start shouting, what is wrong with you, woman? Cut the light off. Can I tell you something? That's exactly what happens as a, to a Christian when you go into the world. You impact people in such a way where they counterattack. They go on the defensive side. 
And that's what the world does when you walk into a room. Jesus says you're the light of the world. And so when you walk into a room without even saying a word, conviction begins to fall on somebody that don't know Jesus. When you're the light of the world, you walk into a room, and again, you don't have to say anything. And all of a sudden, somebody notices something different about you. And before you realize it, they're coming up to you. Man, I don't know what it is. There's something different about you. What is that? That is the light of Jesus Christ shining through you. But oftentimes when you shine, people get offended. People get offended. But not only are you light, you're truth. Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. And so we're his representative. And so when you walk into a room, you expose the the lies. You expose the ignorance. And so people become defensive. They start attacking you. Here's where you need to celebrate because obviously God's Spirit is showing off in you. Here's the second thing we rejoice in is that Christ can trust you. Christ can trust you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He will never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So whatever you're going through in life, God knows you can handle it or else He wouldn't have never allowed you to go through it. And can I just be honest with you? As Americans, we don't really know a lot about persecution. Let's just be real. We have this notion that when we get saved, everything is just going to work out and everything's going to go my way and I'm never, ever, ever going to have another problem as long as I live because I'm saved now. And so we're shocked when we have to go through difficulties. We have a flat tire and we think we're being persecuted. The devil gave me a flat tire. The devil, not the nail in the road, but the devil caused me to have a flat tire. But yet everywhere else in the world, they understand that if you live for Christ, you're going to suffer persecution. There are places right now in the world where people are literally being martyred for their faith. There are people in the world right now where, 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 where they literally get up every day and they say, Man, I hope I can give my life for Christ today. Now, thankfully, we don't have to endure that. No one I ever pray that. But I'm just saying that there are times in our life where we have to step back and realize, okay, hey, there's insults coming. There's things coming my way. I'm up under attack by the enemy. So how can I let God's Spirit show through me? And if I am under attack, then obviously God trusts me. There's a story of a, of a man and his wife. He lost his job and he was, he was on unemployment. He really needed a job. And so a job came available for him. Unfortunately, it was in a very ungodly company. And so the man said, all right, you know, I'm going to take the job, honey. I don't really know what's going to happen. And so he goes to work that first day. His wife is at home. She's praying for him all day long. He comes home. He walks into the door. And she says, honey, how was your day today? He said, baby, it was great. He said, I don't think anybody knew I was a Christian. And as soon as he said it, he said, conviction fell on him. Why? God does not want us living under the radar screen. The devil would say, hey, don't cause any waves, don't rock the boat, but that's not what we're here for. We are here to make a difference in this world. We are light and we're supposed to shine in a dark world. And when you do, you will be persecuted. 
And I'm not saying that you go out, go out and beat people over the head and act all crazy, but there is a way that your light shines in the environment that you're in. Philippians 1.29 For you it has been granted. The word granted there simply means you've been given a gift. So what's this gift we've been given? That on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. Let me ask you a question today. Are you being persecuted? Are you suffering for the gospel's sake? Or are you trying to be a secret agent for God? Fact is, when we face temptation, it's like, it's like a hammer and a nail. The harder you hit that nail, the deeper that nail goes into the wood. When persecution comes your way, it's not meant to destroy you. It's meant to develop you and deepen your faith. I mean, after all, Christ died for us. And again, I don't wish persecution on any of us. But when you face the insults, when you face the threats, when you face the lies, and unfortunately for so many people in other parts of the world, when you face martyrdom, you got to realize what it means that God's Spirit is showing off in you and Jesus can trust you for His sake. But then here's the third thing you got to rejoice over. It's only temporary. It's not going to last long. It's only temporary. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We tend to focus so much on this world and the here and now and what we can see all the time, not understanding that the 50, 70, 80, 90 years on this world is nothing compared to eternity. Nothing. So how do we handle persecution? We recognize the source. We refuse to retaliate. We respond positively. We rejoice over it. And here's the fifth one. You got to remember your rewards. Remember your rewards. What is the reward of persecution? And it's interesting because this one beatitude, it takes three verses to explain it. It takes three verses to talk about it. Three verses, but one beatitude, and it's all about persecution. But there is a double reward and a double blessing. In other words, people who are persecuted for the gospel's sake are, do, are blessed twice as much. So what are the rewards? There's one on earth and there's one in heaven. The one on earth, it says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Luke puts it this way, jump for joy. In other words, people who are persecuted for the gospel are incredibly blessed. There is a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory is what Paul said. Paul said that we are persecuted, but we're not cast down. We're not destroyed. We're not sad about it, but we're continuing on the journey for Jesus. The first time the disciples were beaten and whipped for the gospel, it says they left jumping for joy. They were excited because they were deemed worthy to suffer for Jesus. There is a joy that cannot even be described when you take a stand for Jesus Christ. But there's also a reward in heaven. And what is that one? I want to tell you about a guy in Scripture that was the very first martyr. A guy by the name of Stephen. Acts chapter 7 verse 54 talking about Stephen. It says, when they heard these things, 
They were cut to the heart. Stephen was preaching a message. He was taking a stand for Jesus Christ. And they heard it. They were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And watch this. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. First of all, I believe that people who are persecuted have a clearer picture of Jesus than anyone else. They do. They see the glory and the hand of God in their lives. But I love the fact that he says he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Do you realize that this is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus is standing? Every other time in the scripture, he's seated. Let me tell you what I see here. Stephen being the first martyr of the church. Stephen being persecuted for his faith. Got a standing ovation from Jesus Christ. And he saw it. And he saw it. Great is your reward in heaven. Well, Pastor, I want the rewards. How do I receive them? It's pretty easy. You got to commit your life to Christ. We've been on a long journey through these Beatitudes. This is probably one of the longest series I think we've ever done as a church. Eight weeks long. We started with poor in spirit. And how you got to recognize your poverty without God. And God, I can't do anything without you. And then I've got to mourn over my sin. And then there's, there's got to be some, some meekness that takes place. That's strength under control and, and, and so forth and so on. There's got to be a peacemaker. There's, there's, there's got to be all of these things that have to happen. So when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you're opening yourself up for a whole lot of stuff. People are going to talk about you. You're going to be overlooked. You're going to be insulted. I doubt very seriously you'll be martyred for your faith, but who knows? Because I remember Columbine High School several years ago when they walked in to that first young lady and he held a gun to her head and said, I need you to renounce Jesus Christ. She said no and he took her life. So who knows? Who knows? When you sign up for the blessed life, you're signing up for a persecuted life. But it is a blessing and a reward like you've never experienced in all of your life. There is a peace that comes on you. How was Stephen able, when they were literally throwing stones at him, how was he able to look up into heaven and see a standing ovation from Jesus Christ, clapping, saying, yes, that's my son right there. You want to be blessed? I sure do. Doesn't mean everything's going to work out for you. It probably means that everything's going to fall to pieces for you. (laughs) But there's something on the inside of you that keeps you moving forward. There's something on the inside that, that, that you gain strength from, and that is the Spirit of God in you. So stand with me all over the house. 
I want the rewards, Pastor. What do I need to do? Commit your life to Jesus Christ. Accept Him in your heart. Accept Him in your soul. Here's the second thing. Go public with your faith. Be baptized. Get into some water, man. Let's dunk you. Some of you, we probably have to hold in a lot longer. You've got a lot of sin on you. Amen? <laughs> Be baptized. Get part of a community, a church. Join up with it. And don't just be a spectator, be a participator. Got enough spectators. Need some folks who's willing to get in the game. Put on your jersey. Drop your pom-poms, cheerleader. Put on the jersey and get in the game. And when you get in the game, God will use you in ways that will be on your imagination. There's something in you that's different when you accept Christ. I was doing a wedding last year. It was a great, precious, just precious couple. And there's always that moment in weddings, you know, at the end, and it's not always, but, you know, they, they, they have alcohol. And so, you know, everybody's just kind of letting the hair down and whatever. And I always tend to make an exit during that time. Not because it's a temptation. I just, quite frankly, don't want to be around it, to be honest with you. I don't hold it against them. It's up to them if they want to do it. And so I was walking out to my truck, and I saw a guy coming towards me. And he had, he had a beer in his hand. And when he noticed it was me, he put it right behind him, and he literally started walking away from me. Well, I took that as a moment. I said, man, let's have some fun. I started following him. <laughs> that guy kept looking back. <laughs> He was doing like that. And I was just following him the whole time. Finally, I just said, hey, man. I said, I'm messing with you. I said, you all right? He said, man. He said, I was fine till I saw you. He said, and something in me felt shameful. He said, I got to be honest with you, Pastor. He said, I don't even want to hold this. I'm so ashamed. I said, well, man, please, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to convict you. I said, I haven't even said anything to you. He said, no, it's not you. He said, there's something in you that's convicting me right now. He said, when I was little growing up, he said, I had Jesus. He said, and I got away from him. He said, man, I don't know. I said, well, hey, man, why wait? Let's go all in right now. Let's do it. Well, you know, all stories don't end happily. You know, he said, well, Pastor, I saw it. We'll catch it another time. I said, well, hey, that's fine, man. I don't want to. I don't want to push him on you. I said, but don't wait. I said, you don't ever know. I'll ever do another wedding. You're there and I'll follow you again. <laughs> the point is, when you go all in for him, there's something different about you. There's something in you that makes a difference in the lives of people around you. They see something in you. There's a light that's shining in you. There's truth that's coming out of you. So guys, I don't know. I'm praying that through this, these past eight weeks, my prayer has been, God, strengthen the people. This, this series has been really more of a discipleship series. That's really what it was intended to do. It's intended to take you deeper in your faith. But as we're ending the series, like all series, I said, God, how can we end this thing? And so here's the way I want to end it. And I know you're busy, but after all, it is hot outside. And we've got air conditioning in here. 
So here's what I'd like to do. And if, if you've got to leave, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm going to do you like the guy at the party, and I'm just going to follow you out to your car. But if, if you got time, let's gather around the altar together. Come on, just whoever, wherever, if you can, if you can. I know some circumstances. If you can, let's gather around the altar together, and let's just pray together.